episode 270, COVID-19, how to save primary care practices with the Marshall Plan for prospective payment models. Today, I speak with Dave Chase, co-founder and CEO over at Health Rosetta. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Let's talk today specifically about primary care physicians and family medicine doctors. Data was reported in USA Today saying that an estimated 60,000 family practices will close and 800,000 of their employees will lose their jobs by the end of June. It's hard for any practice to just snap its fingers and transfer patients over to telemedicine, regardless of the reimbursement rate and or how many payers are actually paying any reimbursement for telemedicine or remote patient monitoring. It's a thing to go virtual. It requires new processes, different staffing training, different workflows, plus a lot of what a PCP does, i.e. fielding phone calls with quick questions, for example, aren't reimbursable. And if they were, no one's going to like spend half an hour trying to send a bill for $12. What are the consequences of all, let's just say, independent PCPs going out of business? Well, first, logically, all patients served by these doctors and their teams now no longer have a place to go to get care, right in the middle of a pandemic. Second, let's just say in a thought experiment that a lot of independent physicians do go out of business and do wind up going to work in an employed model. That might very well happen. Private equity and payers like Humana and Optum have been buying up PCP practices all over the place. Why? So they can have captive populations. Patients come in the door at their PCP and everywhere they go from there can be controlled by the vertically integrated entity. This has been stated openly. It's also pretty clear at this point that that model increases costs for any ultimate purchaser of healthcare, like, for example, an employer. There's also other, let's just say, more unseemly motivations if you start to think about what a company who owns patient relationships with their PCPs can manage to perpetuate. It's great if you're a shareholder. It might be less great if you're a citizen of this country. Today, I speak with Dave Chase, co-founder and CEO of Health Rosetta. Health Rosetta empowers community-owned health plans, like, for example, employers and states and town governments. Dave talks today about Health Rosetta's Marshall Plan, which is an action plan right now to minimize the negative impact of COVID-19 by ensuring that family and primary care practices can stay in business. The Marshall Plan is a call to action for self-insured employers and commercial health plans. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Dave Chase, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Happy to be on. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, it has been a while. So let's just dive right in because we need to get to this Marshall Plan, Dave. Why don't we just start at the very beginning with some background? What's the state of most independent PCPs in the middle of this COVID pandemic? The independent fee-for-service primary care docs are in a really interesting dynamic where they're on the front lines of the pandemic, and they're a key part of how you, besides the whole physical or social distancing part, how you keep people out of the ICU, don't need to be there. And oddly enough, because they're in fee-for-service and like other doctors, they're seeing revenue and procedures and volume and all that drop by 80%. And so they're having, some are already laying people off or furloughing them, cutting back hours at the time when we most need them. 
Obviously, as many listeners probably are aware, one of the things that CMS has done is to enable codes, you know, fee-for-service billing codes for telehealth. And then also at the very beginning of this year, we've got the remote patient monitoring where you can make, it was like 100 or 150 bucks a month per patient to monitor patients at home. You would think that a lot of the work that a PCP does, as opposed to like some specialist who's making all their money doing nuclear screenings of some kind or whatever, you really, which you really cannot do remotely, you would think that given the relationship model of the PCP and also a lot of the type of appointments that they tend to have, more than 20%, you know, you just said their their businesses went down 80%, but you'd think that more would be able to be picked up by telehealth. What's the issue? Payment. I mean, CMS, what they've done is great, and that's an important step. But the reality is, even today, the vast, vast majority of those Claims that are being paid only get paid sort of full freight if the doc sees the whites of the eyes of the patient. And so that's the unfortunate reality is most have still operated that way. And even if they are paying like CMS, there's still some organizations that have been slow to change habits, you know, particularly when it's kind of a mixed scenario. They're just like, oh, we'll just do it the old way until everybody switches over. And so that's been the dynamic. But you're exactly right. The, you know, at least 70% of what a PCP does can be done without a face-to-face encounter. It's just that's not the norm in the old models. Now in the the new models that are, you know, really rapidly growing, that's absolutely the case. And they're doing very well. This is really their moment to shine, and they are. Where does this leave our country really in the short term? Let's just take a worst case scenario. You know, you've got PCPs who aren't able to pull off the telehealth thing for whatever reason, and these doctors run out of cash and lay off their staff. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, the American Academy of Family Physicians just came out with some estimates that they were saying by the end of June, as many as 60,000 family practices could close or have to scale back, which in total, that's about 800,000 employees. That's 43% of the total. Hopefully, we don't get to that point. But at a time when you know really their full attention should be on doctoring, these independent primary care practices still on the old flawed fee-for-service model are two to six weeks away from running out of cash. You know they'd already been under duress before this because of not prioritizing primary care in this country. And you know it's kind of sad that we're. We should be shoring up our troops. You know, they're going out to battle. You know, make no mistake, we're in a war. It's not a war with bullets, but it's a war we're in right now. Optum cares. They have 45,000 PCPs or something. And one of the things that I just got wind that they did is redeploy PCPs. They're doing things like staffing 911 calls for New York City, for example, and they're staffing all the telehealth that Optum does. How does that play into to all of this? Is, is that something that just because Optum controls everything that Optum does, and I don't want to go off track <laughs> relative to the positive and negative impact of them, but it seems odd that they are so able to adapt and... Yeah, I mean, they are employed, right? Those docs are employed by Optum. And so if they want to continue to get paid, I guess they follow the orders of their boss Presumably, there's been some relationship where there is a need there where they can continue to generate revenue. And so unlike, say, an independent doc, 
who doesn't have that opportunity to find another source of revenue, they're redeploying them that way. Unfortunately, probably what they should be doing is, again, if they had the right payment model, is actually focusing in on their community. I mean, of course, it's great that they're helping out another community at one level, but what about all their existing patients? They're getting abandoned in some ways. And those are people who have not only COVID-related concerns, but guess what? Diabetes didn't go away. Hypertension didn't go away. And frankly, a lot of the things that make one more vulnerable to COVID-19 aren't being well-managed, right? I mean, they're not often that well-managed in the fee-for-service to begin with, but even less so if all these appointments have been canceled because they can't see the whites of their eyes. So it's just this weird cascade that, you know, the way I've described it is, yeah, there's a biological virus that's running rampant in our country, but there's been a metaphorical virus running through our healthcare system that has been just as damaging on many fronts. And we're seeing that in a big way right now. What we've got going on here with independent physicians is that they had been making the bulk of the revenue from FFS, and now you can't just change on a dime. So there's not necessarily a possible business model potentially in place that could replace all the FFS revenue like tomorrow and or the transition time is too long. So doctors are like, I, I'm not going to be able to do it fast enough. By the time I get this done, this pandemic's going to be over. So it's not really worth killing myself to do this? Well, I mean, I think this is one of those times where, you know, I was watching an Italian colleague that is in the digital health arena. And he was saying, from their experience, just being a little ahead of us, that they're seeing things happen in 10 days that they were expecting to take 10 years. These are extraordinary times. I mean, we've seen this. When you say things that are happening, what do you mean things? Things like adoption of telehealth is a good example, right? And all the remote patient monitoring and, you know, anything in this case that can help on the whole COVID-19 scenario, you're seeing it up and down the line, is being done. Now, most of this is a microcosm of what should be done writ large. And that's the silver lining on this is the doc who, if all the various payment players, and we know that CMS often sets the tone for the rest of the market. So they've already said, and to their credit, moving remarkably quickly, knowing that this issue we've been talking about has come up, they made a decision that as kind of the short-term stop the bleeding, they will pay prospectively based on what they build the prior year. And so I think they're paying a quarter at a time. It'll basically be through the duration of the pandemic. What CMS did was three things, actually, at this juncture. So they started out with the RPM, the remote patient monitoring in January. Yep. Then the telehealth stuff came out. And what you're referring to is is a, actually a third thing that's going on yep. in, to help PCPs, which is this prospective payment model that CMS rolled out. Yeah, I mean, the, the gist of it is there's because of the issues we've just been talking about where revenue has fallen off a cliff and they need them, they've said, we're going to prospectively pay you for the next quarter based on, you know, and there's some some qualifiers, but basically what you bill last year, they're going to prospectively pay you now. And so that covers, you know, 15% of the patients, the Medicare patients. It doesn't cover Medicaid or employer plans or exchange plans, but it's a start. And the fact that they did that essentially when the American Academy of Family Physicians in particular sounded the alarm, I mean, it was just 
a couple days later where they went ahead with that, which is pretty remarkable. You would think that the private sector would be able to move at least as quick as the government, which we haven't seen yet, but hopefully we will. So you just said that Medicare patients are 15% of the market. Is that what you just said? So now, okay, so we've got PCPs and they can get paid for 15% of their patients, let's just say if everyone's average, yep. um, they can get paid for telehealth, they can get paid for RPM, and now they can get paid a quarter. They can get paid up front to care for patients through this pandemic. And I'm assuming what, in quotes, care for the patients through the pandemic means, like, is that capitated or do I still have to bill? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is going to be a reconciliation process and they spell that out in the document, but Candidly, I think some of that is still going to be worked out, but that is certainly the expectation is that they will be proactively reaching out. And, you know, if you look at what the typical kind of next generation value-based primary care doc, it's getting them to do those things, which is email, phone, video if it's necessary. You know, some are doing remote monitoring with pulse ox. They're doing swab tests typically in the parking lot, kind of a drive-through type of scenario to, to minimize exposure. It's, it's all those types of things. And then for the people who are already, maybe they've already been in the hospital and recovering or hopefully haven't gotten to that point, you know, at least 90% of the COVID cases don't require a hospital visit. And so it's all of that piece of it. You know, these things are happening super quick and they won't be perfect, but I think that they sort of set the tone for you know, how these things should be done going forward. And I would expect there'll be more guidance, but that's what they've done so far is, you know, provided this quick infusion, at least for the Medicare patients. So the point being that independent PCPs need money right now, this would be a way to fill up the bank account. They're still going to need to reconcile down the line. So it's still going to be FFS just on the back end. That's what it is currently. I mean, the hope would be they would set the terms of like, we have over a decade of these value-based primary care models. So the hope would be they would use this as an excuse to say, okay, well, let's shift to that model. The results are super impressive. It's much better for the doc. You know, you have instead of net promoter scores that are like cable companies and airlines, they're like at Apple, Google levels. And so this is one of those things, not unlike what you saw with World War II, where like the British NHS you know, came into being, the employer-based healthcare system came into being. In my view, we are not returning to normal. This will be that breakpoint and this shock to the system. And so this is one of the first examples, but certainly not the last one. Yeah. And others have echoed that exact point too, yeah. that this is the new normal. So, yeah. you know, here we are. Yeah. But there's still an issue, which is something that you have said, Dave, with the prospective bundle and even the telehealth and the remote patient monitoring. It's 15% of patients. So if I'm a PCP and I'm thinking, okay, great, I got 15% of my patients taken care of, like that's not going to put dinner on the table. So what's your call to action? Yeah, I mean, it's really the core call to action is you've got a very influential set of listeners that have relationships with other key decision makers in addition to CMS that address that other 85%. To begin with, everybody at the local, state, and federal level is hyper-focused in on this issue. Guess what? 
they're all employers. Almost all of them are self-insured employers. So they need to tell their plan administrators, whoever's processing their claims, to match what CMS has done in the short term, but ensure this is a norm going forward so we don't repeat history. At the Also, the state level governors, they and people who have connections, influence, whatever, need to reach out to them. You know, with Medicaid plans, the exchange plans, again, match what CMS is doing, have that move to be the norm. Employers, especially large employers, they're seeing a very significant drop in claims because of 80% of volume is is dollars that they've been spending. Now, there's no question some of them are going through a lot of economic duress themselves. However, they're also leaders in tough times. And so there are some industries that are doing fine, like grocery industry. You know, they should really be leading the way. They should also be telling their plan administrators to match what CMS did as a, a first volley. And then carriers and TPAs who are actually processing these claims, they can be a leader, right? If government can move as quickly as they did, so can they. They know what the mechanics are. They can pull the reports on what was paid last year, and they need to step up. You know, they've gotten a tremendous amount of money. These are organizations that are seeing huge drops in claims at the same time where if you look over the last decade, incredibly rich growth in stock prices and cash and all that, they need to step up. And it may be mandated to them at some point, but why not be a leader before that? So let's talk specifically about some of the things that CMS has done, which you're calling employers and other health plan sponsors, payers to do the same. So we've got the pay for telehealth, we've got the remote patient monitoring, and then we've got the prospective payment model that CMS came out with. If one of these self-funded employers or other plans do the same as CMS, do you envision that costs will go up if they do that? In other words, they're going to save money if they hang back and do nothing. It shouldn't, if they're going off of what was spent last year, particularly if we just focus on primary care, already primary care is a very small percentage. It's frankly too small. You know, it's typically five to 7%, probably should be more like 12%. So that's a very small percentage of the overall dollars. And what we're suggesting here is essentially budget neutral to that spend. And so whatever they spent last year on primary care, again, under 10% of their overall spend, they were saying, infuse that now. We need that now. That's a pretty modest ask for something that's incredibly important right now. And if an employer's like, eh, nah, I'm going to pinch my pennies right now. And the PCPs, the independent PCPs in their area do go out of business. I don't want to lead the witness, but what are the negative consequences there? We have very clear data that as soon as a PCP gets gobbled up by say a hospital, their billings go up dramatically. They have so-called performance, you know, a productivity targets. You know, there's just a lawsuit right now of a group that wants to leave a health system they're a part of. And in the lawsuit, the hospital or the health system said that if the docs wanted out, they needed to pay 14 million each because that was the annual value that they were bringing. You know, so I mean, that's even higher than what I typically hear of PCPs typically will drive five to $10 million of value. That is a core problem of our healthcare system where unfortunately, rather than being the foundation of a proper healthcare system and and there's no well-functioning healthcare system in the world not built on primary care, unfortunately, the primary care has been turned into milk in the back of the store. And so if you thought it was bad already, 
with how costs have gone up, then it's going to guarantee to get worse because we've got decades of evidence uh, showing that. In contrast, when you have the plans like the the folks in our program put in place where they're spending 20, 40, even 55% less, one of the key pillars is having proper primary care because you, you reduce the, you know, you can't price gouge on a surgery that never happened that was unnecessary. You can't price gouge on an emergency visit that never happened. And most emergency department visits, you know, are not true emergencies. And so that's where things could go from bad to worse if they, the remaining independent PCPs get gobbled up. So the point being that if an independent PCP is actually providing really good primary care, those those bad things that you just, bad expensive things that you just mentioned tend to be reduced significantly. And therefore, a great PCP is going to pay for himself or herself many, many times over. Yeah. And and even, you know, in a, in a very short term context, if they're having to shut their doors and your employees can't get in, you know, that cannot be good for their health. And ultimately, the claims cost of that organization, because the reason there's so many non-emergent visits to emergency departments isn't because people don't have insurance. It's because they can't get into their PCP. It can, can take a month sometimes. And I don't even know how you call it primary care if it takes a month to get in. You know, that's the absurdity that we've been in. Yeah, which is why all these urgent cares and Walmart clinics and other business model that is is kind of cropping up, which is also chipping away at the, you know, let's just say traditional relationship-based primary care and making it even all the more transactional. In the blueprint that we have put out there, it's it's pretty remarkably simple that you and people sometimes are almost, they almost have disbelief in terms of how you could possibly not just slow the growth, which is the tyranny of low expectations that most people have of healthcare spending, but you can actually drop it 20, 40%. It's because the system is just run so amok that if you actually are proactive on these things, you can save a tremendous amount. And it's just, unfortunately, a lot of people just aren't experiencing that right now. So if I'm a PCP and I'm burnout and I've got moral injury because somebody just told me that I got to do so many RVUs and refer so many MRIs and I just got it in trouble for referring somebody out of network. And I would like to basically take back primary care. If I'm looking for a silver lining here, how can all of this that we've just discussed be a springboard for a PCP who's looking to get a relationship model and get paid fairly for providing real primary care? What do I do? I mean, I would embrace, first of all, what CMS has done. And you have to reach out to them to actually get it. It's not just going to magically show up. But then a lot of times PCPs are very influential, right? I mean, who who do they care for? <laughs> they care for local civic leaders and mayors and business owners and all that, and they can use their influence there. And so this is the opportunity, and that's why the professional societies around family medicine and primary care are really pushing for this because you know there has been massive moral injury and a lot of harm to you know not only them but our our overall well-being as a country and so it's the good news is that CMS has really now stated that the prospective model is the way to go time will tell how it all plays out and all the machinations but the other thing that that I think was also you know a lot of discussions going on right now in the the various big carrier executive suites they know that independent primary care is pivotal for them as well. And so this is a chance to make that switch. I mean, I 
talked to countless PCPs who are still in fee-for-service and like, gosh, you know, I would love to go to that model that Iora has or Vera Whole Health or whoever, but I got a mortgage to pay. I can't go build a practice from scratch. And so you've had this chicken and the egg scenario. And now we're like, here's the egg, crack it open. This is the, the new way that can really get you out of that nightmare. And if I'm an employer, a self-funded employer or, you know, in charge of benefits for some public entity, where do I go for more information about what you are doing, which you're calling the Marshall Plan? That's kind of your term for employers, you know, start doing what CMS is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we actually posted a page, healthrosetta.org slash Marshall Plan. Plan So you can find out what we said there, the links to what CMS did, what are the calls to action, you know, who are some of the people behind it. And so that will give kind of calls to action, which would include, you know, reach out to whoever's processing your claims. And if you're fully insured, same thing. These insurance companies have done incredibly well. They've gotten a lot of money from the employers and the taxpayers. It's time for them to play their part in, you know, really a a war effort. So let's make it happen. Dave Chase, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.